0: Hello and welcome to Reed Scholars Live. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Fleming, current president of Reed Scholars. Today we are joined by Dr. Philip Woods. Dr. Philip Woods is also a Reed Scholar who received his dental degree from uh, UNC and his periodontal s- certificate from Tufts before completing an oral health medicine fellowship at Brigham and Williams in Boston and his MPH at Harvard. In addition to providing oral health care for patients across the country, including Alaska, and serving, in a, diverse, um, and serving a diverse inmate population at Federal Medical Center in Devons, he is active in the US Public Health Service. Now, Dr. Woods currently works for the FDA as a regulatory reviewer for dental devices. So such a varied career, Dr. Woods. Thank you for joining us.
1: You're welcome.
0: Um, So just to kind of start off, just because you have been kind of all over the place. One, you know, let me know that if I missed anything that you think the audience should know. And two, just kind of tell us what's going on with you right now and how has COVID affected you either personally or professionally um, in the past few months? Okay. Hey, Mary,
1: good to be talking with you and thank you for that intro. Um, I'll just sum up uh, my journey to now by saying I'm a periodontist with public health and oral medicine training, uh, originally from North Carolina. Uh, My uh, first 15 years or so were in uh, clinical teaching in dental schools, several dental schools, and uh, I lived about 20 years in Boston where I would also done about 15 years of community health center work. And I think that community health center work is what really sharpened my interest in, getting more experience and uh, opportunities to make a difference in oral health care and oral health needs uh, for at-risk populations. So in 2003, I joined the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps, and and for almost – I'm in my 18th year now. For the first 11 and a half, I was the national periodontal consultant for all the um, – Uh, federal prisons across America. And what that meant was uh, teaching all the general dentists and dental personnel ways to keep inmates from getting sicker as a result of their dental issues. Um, Later in uh, 2014, I I wanted to get some multi-federal agency experience, so I transferred to the Food and Drug Administration in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, where the World Headquarters is located. And it's a huge campus of about almost 18,000 people. And uh, there, as you mentioned, I work uh, currently as a clinical consultant, regulatory reviewer in dental devices in the Office of Product Evaluation and Quality. Um, long story short, what we do there is, well, first of all, when people think of FDA, usually they think of drugs. But FDA is also medical devices. And dental devices, is a wing of the medical device uh, uh, section. We're also tobacco and food service and veterinary uh, products. So we're many things, but I work in the uh, division of dental devices as a clinical reviewer of all kinds of dental devices, from the brackets that you have on teeth when you wear braces to uh, orthodontic aligners, the Invisaligns, and other companies types of products, to bone graft materials, to membranes that are used in periodontal surgeries, to any number of restorative and surgical devices. As a clinical reviewer, what this whole pandemic has meant is a quick uh, wake up to uh, making some major shifts And how we do, what we do, and opening up possibilities for some new work. Specifically, for almost a little over two months, I've been working from home. We call it teleworking in the federal government. Because um, as is true for many of the federal agencies, uh, we've been uh, asked to socially distance, I guess you'd say, and uh, continue our work as much as possible uh, using Uh, computer uh, and other technologies uh, from our homes. Normally, we we telework up to two days a week, So now it's five days a week teleworking. Um, We have our meetings over the internet and uh, Webex kinds of uh, technologies, and more of uh, what used to be face-to-face meetings with sponsors or companies are now held as more teleconferences at least for the time being. And teleworking has been extended until at least June 1st. We'll see what happens after then. Um, what it also has meant specifically for FDA is uh, activation of something called EUA's or Emergency Use Authorizations, In critical times or emergency times when there's a technology or a uh, product or device that's needed desperately by the public to ameliorate what's going on in the public, uh, the government allows emergency use authorization uh, to come into play with the agency. For us, what that means is because of the shortage of PPE, be it gloves, face masks, gowns, uh, respirators, ventilators, uh, testing kits, whatever, it is meant that 24-7 we have folk at FDA who are working to provide emergency review of potential new devices uh, that could help meet these uh, shortage needs. Um, That also includes certain companies who are shut down because of the pandemic and who could retool and say, well, now I can make A, B, and C because we already have the uh, instrumentation in place and the capability and here's what we can offer. They they come to FDA in a really, focused, often 15-day turnaround uh, period, we provide an emergency uh, use authorization to allow these devices to be uh, marketed during this critical need time. And of course, when the emergency is over, then all these companies will need to come in through the traditional regulatory review process, uh, which is a little lengthier, and. involves other aspects. So in terms of work, that's what's happened. And uh, I don't know if that answers uh, your question. Oh, one, one other thing I for, that's important that I forgot to mention. In addition to being a clinical consultant at FDA, I'm an active duty officer, a captain in the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. And we rise to the challenge whenever uh, our nation needs us to help uh, protect, the health and safety of the public, and and because of this pandemic, uh, many of us have been already called into deployments. Um, Some have gone to military bases where they helped uh, manage care for some of the cruise ship passengers that you've heard about in the news while they were being quarantined or isolated or contained uh, for a certain period of time to make sure they were safe to be introduced back into the public. Uh, others have gone to work in some of the field hospitals you've heard about in, in the larger cities um, where medical personnel were short uh, and, and in high need. Um, others have done more administrative possibilities and, and, and capabilities, capacity, worked in those capacities. I was deployed for a while with what was called the FDA CDRH COVID-19 Diagnostic Call Center, and it's a 24-7 um, call center that feels, that it's still going on right now, feels calls from attorneys, researchers, clinicians, uh, importers, brokers, uh, concerned citizens, with any kind of question related to PPEs, uh, guidances from the FDA website, recommendations, in vitro testing, the latest information, uh, how do I order, might be a concerned patient saying, how do I get uh, face masks from my cousin in Mexico, because they have some, and I want to make sure I can do what I need to do, that there are no problems at the border, so it covers a wide range of things, and, and my, I was there one week, working the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift, and you'd be surprised at the Breath or diversity of questions that came up. I think that answers that first question you had.
0: Yes, that, that was uh, great. Lots of information. And I think it, it's also very interesting, as you mentioned, the FDA, you know, most people know the letters FDA and, and like you said, and associated with drug safety, uh, but not so much with safety in general. And, you know, as we've kind of moved through this epidemic, PPE is now a household phrase, right? Um, exactly Exactly. where are you getting your ppe from is it the right ppe are you wearing the the ppe the correct way uh uh, you know and it's not just do we have enough ppe for you know our our traditional places where we thought we needed ppe um you know in our in our medical facilities and 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 dental Mm -hmm. um you know laboratories and that type of thing but now that we're using it for personal use to go to the grocery store uh it's fascinating and uh, people are learning a lot, I think, about what it is and what it means, and um, the other safety uh, requirements around it. So, uh, we of course appreciate the FDA even more, and I'm sure the head of the FDA is uh, <laughs> adjusting to the role of being kind of front and center in this, this epidemic. So it's all been interesting, I think, as the country has learned a lot. It,
1: you're 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 totally right, and what and you reminded me of an important thing as a dentist. Uh, We've really been uh, challenged by this pandemic. Uh, In terms of PPE, um, first of all, let me back up and say mid-March, it was highly recommended by the American Dental Association and several other uh, professional organizations that all dentistry cease except for emergency care because of all the professions that one might imagine, dentistry Produces a great number of aerosols and just the basic, most basic of procedures, a dental filling or a cleaning. And so, because of that, uh, the environment was considered very high risk. And and as the information about uh, the coronavirus was evolving, it was important to hold things in a, a holding status until more information was available. So, from mid March until now, the recommendation and the practice has been generally emergency care only and no routine procedures are being done. And this also frees up some of the PPE to go to medical settings where they are uh, have been greatly needed. Um, while this has been a national uh, recommendation from the American Dental Association, for example, it was not mandated. So there have been some states that continued just business as usual uh, in, in, in terms of the providing of services. But this, in, this uh, pandemic has had a major uh, impact on our profession in terms of uh, practices being able to continue uh, providing services for communities, uh, people in the community being able to get access for care that they may have desired or needed that might not be totally emergent or emergency care. Uh, And it's also meant a lot to um, dental personnel in terms of feeling comfortable and safe that they're creating and and sustaining uh, an environment that's good for all involved, whether it's the community served, the personnel or the actual dentist himself. And so there's some major shifts that are underway right now as we, we look at what we need to consider moving forth as, as we reopen dental practices. You know, if new kinds of uh, filtration is gonna be needed in mm-hmm. dental clinics, if uh, uh, different types of masks, if N95 is gonna be the standard of care, you know, and uh, what it's gonna to take to make sure that the offices are cleaned efficiently and effectively, for example. And and when I was a first year dental student, way back in 1980, 81, I remember what a shift there was to hear the upperclassmen talking about this new thing was starting where dentists were gonna have to wear wear gloves, excuse me, wear gloves because dentists had never worn gloves up until 1980, when there was concern about hepatitis and something that was developing called uh, Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. You know, so I remember that shift and we did it. So I'm sure we'll have to rise to the occasion with this uh, shift in how we practice our practice.
0: Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, from every level, we're going to have to get used to um, just a different mm-hmm. way of interacting with each other. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about you know, PPE and um mask and in those type of offices but also it's kind of two things one thing i was thinking about um when we're, we're starting to talk about point of care testing um and one mm-hmm. of the conversations especially around dental offices is whether um during this uh, evolution of of how are we offering testing is are the dental offices a good place to offer that type of testing um you know that's a, that's
1: a great point because a lot of dentists, and as recently as last week, the, uh, one of the national heads of the American Dental Association and some other executive officers have written letters to the Health and Human Services uh, uh, Agency heads to request opportunities for dentists to play a more uh, active role in point-of-care testing uh, because... You know, we have the environment, we have the clinical uh, expertise to, to assist, and we could lighten the load from some of the overburdened medical settings out in the uh, greater public by doing so. And,
0: and my other question around testing, just to pivot slightly, um, you spoke a little bit about the U.S. Public Health Service and, and being deployed and, and going into these um, uh, and we'll say underserved areas um to, to just to use a broad term but um the other conversation you know we're having around testing is access to testing and that mm. we know that we're not going into places where in this new phrase other new um uh, household term essential workers right who's essential um but a lot of our essential workers are coming from you know underserved areas or, or vulnerable populations and are not getting the same type of access to testing as, as some of the other communities are. So I don't know if, you, if that's something you could speak on in the um, context of the, the public health service.
1: Well, I can say a little bit about that. Uh, first of all, I love that we're finally putting front and center uh, what's been deemed essential workers because these are the people I come from. You know the the laborers, the bus drivers, the uh, cooks, the restaurant workers. You you name it. The people who make life uh, comfortable for us and keep life moving for us. And it's amazing that it's taken us this pandemic to really appreciate how essential these these, these workers are. Um, the public health service has not specifically uh, developed any programs to limited to essential workers, but I would say that we serve in agencies that um, also address a lot of the at-risk or vulnerable communities. Like, uh, for example, I had done, I I worked 11 and a half years with the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and as you've heard in recent times, uh, there's been really huge impacts on prisons and jails. By the pandemic, uh, just by design, prisons are designed for maximum maximum packing of of uh, occupants. Mm-hmm. You know, and and social distancing is not an option. And so, secondly, the the frequent hand washing as we've been advised to do is not even as feasible. Uh, hand sanitizers are not generally allowed because of the alcohol. Content in the tendency to have inmates who might make hooch or alcoholic drink from it. Uh, so all of that kind of thing has led to a scenario where we have uh, many jails in major cities, minor cities, including the Federal Bureau of Prisons, where I, I had worked, where we find staff as well as uh, inmates uh, experiencing significant numbers of positive uh, testing. Results and uh, several deaths as well. So that is quite a conundrum that we're facing right now, and how we're going to address that moving forward is going to be really uh, interesting to see.
0: Yeah, definitely, I mean, and that's another. Um, and I was hoping that we could talk about that a little bit. You know, a, another very unique vulnerable population uh, in this country, and like you said, from just the uh, the physical aspect, right? You have a lot of people in a small place, um, but you know it's also a place where we see a lot of disparities because of the justice system in this country, and a high a high number of um, black and brown people being incarcerated at higher numbers um, compared to the general population. And 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 thinking about how does that affect? Um, They're the communities that they come from in the immediate sense. Um, You know, you've seen a lot
1: of- That's a a great point, Mary, because there is a whole uh, discussion about the revolving door from communities into the prisons and back to the vulnerable communities. And so we're dealing with uh, offenders that have have various uh, illnesses, we'll say, uh, we're talking about the pandemic, it, it does not. what happens at the prison is not staying at the prison because it goes back to the community. Exactly. And in addition to the inmate uh, component, we have correctional workers who go home to their family. You know, and again, the potential for spreading of uh, undetected um, viruses. Uh, the, the challenge is, Often these communities, as we've discussed already, have uh, limited access to testing. Uh, prisons have limited access to testing. So it's a quite a teacher dish uh, situation going on. And finally, I'll say that uh, we've seen other countries who, faced, who were faced with the virus and the pandemic before it reached America, uh, they also had issues with their prisons and jails, but they're not really able to help us in, in terms of giving us guidance on how to manage our situation, because what we deal with here is, is unique, as you mentioned, uh, the disparities in incarceration rates. Um, because of about maybe 2.3 million are at any given time incarcerated in America. And that's significantly more than you might find in uh, Russia or China or Canada or France. and. Even um, 17 times more than you might hear of in Japan. So often, what we're dealing with, how we're going to address the challenges, and what we'll need to do to uh, move forward is going to be very different from what others might have had to do.
0: Wow, Uh, so much.
1: but we're not hopeless we're not hopeless about it but it's just an opportunity to really rethink and and I think this whole pandemic has given us like a whole great opportunity just to do some shifts you know like first of all stop yeah. um have a little bit more compassion for for others and 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 it bothers me a little bit that I think we get so caught up in the doing right now even that we still forget that 55,000 souls a path. Yeah. Yeah. you know, And so I try to keep mindful of that as we try to figure out how do we move forward. And, and uh, there's this great quote. I, I just saw it this morning by a guy named David Orr. And, and if I were to think about what is this whole epidemic, or excuse me, pandemic, and I'll borrow some words from him. And it, he basically said, Maybe, I think we should consider it, a summons home. To the nature that nourishes the best human qualities of creativity, intelligence, connection, and compassion, so we have a work before us i think
0: i I would agree, I would agree, and you know as i I appreciate your time and your expertise and your commitment to all these um, different ways of interacting with people and, and trying to make their lives better. Um, today but also you know trying to make the world better for the future so that we can continue to grow and be well together and the you know for the um the series i you know i've been asking uh everyone to let, let me know what we could do better and what could we could learn from this and i think you, you kind of sum that up really well uh, with that quote okay. um but i want to give you the opportunity to, to say anything else before we close okay. is there anything else that you would like to to leave us with or any chance you want to give um, give us as we move forward and, and adjust to, to what will soon I hope, be the post-COVID <laughs> America? <laughs> um,
1: the only thing that I, I might add is I just want to salute all our colleagues that are out there on the front lines right now and uh, providing health, providing hope, and guidance to communities. And I also wanna thank them for what they're doing and thank and keep in my heart and in my mind, keep in our hearts and minds, all of those essential workers, you know, who finally we're acknowledging keep us going and help us continue to stay on that road. Like you say, that road to that road of hope and that road to tomorrow that we're trying to get to.
0: I think that is a perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Dr. Woods, for joining us. It's great. I learn from you every time I talk to you. So I appreciate you. Well,
1: thank you. You're the one. You're the one. Thank you for creating this.
0: No problem. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Mary.